The celebrations are on. They're back. The Calgary Dinos. The 2019 Hardy Cup champions. Another episode of Dinos Unfiltered coming at you right now. Jeremy Lee, Max Sterley. Great to have you here. Great to have you, Jeremy. I was about to say studio again. <laughs> yeah, before we we recorded the upcoming interview with Pearson and Isla, Jeremy had a tough time with the intros, hey? Oh, it was <laughs> one for the ages. Thankfully, I don't know if we kept that recording or not. I want to have it deleted. As no, I, I think you removed it from the from the matrix. It's gone. As Max had mentioned, we will be having a Dinos basketball episode with Max Isla and Dan Pearson, aka Skippy. Where did the name Skippy come from, Max? So, when Skippy first came to the UFC, he he started, you know, both doing basketball work, but he was also doing some events coordination and management stuff there was a transition in that role and he filled it didn't have much experience in it but you know great guys super capable whatever so they threw him in there and a lot of his work was men's and women's soccer set up and tear down of the broadcast the field you name it whatever and that's where I met Skippy and I think it was it was through that like that's that's how I you know I didn't really call him that initially but that's kind of what was in my head and then I was walking through the Dino's hallway a couple weeks into his work and, and Dano was in there with Ben Matchett, the assistant athletic director, Lance Doucette and some other people. And I think, and Lance remembers this better than I do, but apparently I just walked by the meeting and said, what's up, Skippy? And Ben and Lance were like, what? Like, what's he talking about? And Lance was saying that this name just makes so much sense for him because First off, he's such a happy-go-lucky guy, super personable, super upbeat. But during nationals a couple of years ago, when they won the national title, the U Sports title, he was the entire run. He was skipping up and down the court like an idiot when they were winning, and of course when they won. And Ben and Lance were like, "That's just perfect. Like this this Skippy nickname just works, and it stuck. Like I don't know. I I can't say like." why I call them that like it just it was one of those like you know cheap nicknames like sub skippy and it worked out and he seems to embrace it oh yeah he loves it as far as I can tell but you know right. I don't I don't really call him Dan anymore he's not Dan yeah, anymore yeah. yeah skippy Pearson so a pretty wild weekend here in Dino Land, as there was a ton going on or should we call it Jurassic Park I don't know what we call it uh, Dino Land works it's cute <laughs> <laughs> I'm not trying to go for cute Max <laughs> Well, it's too late now. So there was football going on. I think we'll start it there. Just yeah. uh, congratulations to the Calgary Dinos football team for pulling off a revenge match, if you will, against the Saskatchewan Huskies, 29-4 the score here at McMahon. And again, they talk about the defense playing so well, and they were the story once more. Yep, absolutely. They really came to play, and... Um, there is no way I think that they were going to top that game against Manitoba the week prior, but this was not a contest from kickoff to finish. This was all dinos, and like you said, defense came up clutch. The offense did what they needed to do, and four points in in a Hardy Cup final. It's super impressive for them. So yeah, another another amazing finish for them, and they are off to play McMaster in yep. the Mitchell Bowl. Yeah, the Marauders come to town. That will take place next weekend at McMahon, 1 p.m. start time. Cross-country running. Another congratulations to them as they successfully defend their national championship. They pick up their second consecutive banner out in Kingston, Ontario. The top two finishers, Russell Pennick, third place for him. Matthew Travellini in fourth. But overall as a team, they win that top national title spot. Yeah. What else can you say at this point? This team is unreal. And, you know, back-to-back banners, like, bring on next year. Let's make it a three-peat. I just want to know if they celebrated anyway when they were crossing the line. I guess it wasn't a clear sweep or anything. Yeah, I would imagine. I mean, I didn't I didn't see the finish by any stretch, but I would imagine it was just a classic jog to the finish. But hard, how about those stashies, stride. though, hey? Stashies for Nashies. <laughs> it's pretty, <Awful>. pretty greasy. <laughs> Awful. 
but I'm sure it's for a good cause. Yes. So big congratulations to them. On to men's soccer and women's soccer. First off with the men, not the outcome that they'd wanted. Couple losses, one to Cape Breton and one to York in the Constellation Semi. But uh, Derek Brust with a couple goals in the loss against the Lions. But yeah, I mean, they were playing some of the best teams in Canada. Yep, absolutely. And I think we touched on it earlier in the previous episode that I think they were an underdog heading into this tournament. But, you know, it's something to build on. Like, I believe it was their first U Sports birth to, to the national to the national tournament. Yeah, and program history. Yeah, and program history. So you can take so many positives from this from this and you know obviously you want the results in the moment but as a as a year and as a whole like that's that's an amazing year for that program they're they're only going to go up and uh of course Jake Ryszkowski nailed it uh he's all Canadian for U Sports uh second team all Canadian for U Sports so shouts out to Jake that's a huge honor for him yeah that's a really great season for him and he was up against some tough competition with against the Trinity Western UBC so he was dialed in for the majority of the season. Yep. On to women's soccer. They also were at nationals, but they were out in Victoria, not Montreal, other side of the country. one nothing win over the host Victoria Vikes in the quarterfinal, which led them on to a 3-1 victory over Toronto. Hannah Montana Leonard with a hat-trick in that game. And then a one nothing heartbreaking loss to UBC. UBC getting their revenge, actually, yep. because the Dinos had beat them in the Canada West final. Yeah. So they won the bigger banner, I guess. Yep, they won the bigger banner, and that game was a chess match the entire way. Super tactical, not much chances for either side, and then the winning goal, all credit to UBC, but it's off a really wacky bounce, and you know it, it it's missed by both Dinos and Thunderbirds in the moment, and then it goes over the head of Houghton and nearly recovers it. But it was just a really awkward goal. It, it's not like Kelsey McDonald's goal that clinched Canada West by any stretch. It was a you know a header from about 30 feet out, took a weird bounce, and that's it. That's, that's what wins the banner. But, you know, UBC deserves all the credit. Troy touched on it post-game that that's, that's an amazing program for UBC, and, and they got it done. Big shout-out to Tournament All-Stars, Montana Leonard, Damien Sawatsky, and Taylor Dangerfield. Uh, Dangerfield also named Player of the Game in the National Championship match, which is also her final match ever yeah. as a dino. So. And that's the thing, too, with women's soccer, is that I believe they're only losing Dangerfield and one other player. I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, but by and large, same team for next year, so... You know, they they're, they're going to be a favorite heading into next year for sure. No more Taylor Highway to the Dangerfield. Nope. <laughs> so Max, what happened on the hockey front this week? Hockey front, uh, starting with the women, they had a bye, so they were able to you know get some rest after a huge weekend against U of A. So by that same token, the men's team played the Golden Bears home and home split. Uh, they had a pretty solid effort on the Friday game. They lost 4-3. to three. Ultimately, Ryan Graham had a big game for them, but they weren't able to pull through. And then traveling back up to Edmonton for the back end of the home-and-home home series, they, they had a tough game. They ended up losing 6-1, to one, four goals against in the second period. So something that, you know, you obviously you don't want, but you look through the tape and you move on to the next weekend. And they're facing always a big rival in the Mount Royal Cougars. So... Something to look forward to there, but a tougher weekend on the men's hockey side. Yeah, it's not going to be a Crow Child Classic, but it's still a really heated rivalry. Heated rivalry, it's always a teaser to the big game. And e even despite, you know, the setting that the Crow Child Classic is, the, the intensity does not waver, whether they're playing at the Saddle Dome, whether they're playing at FTB or Flames Com Community Arenas. It's all the same when the Dinos and Cougars play together. And as for the volleyball scene, a couple nights at the jack for me i was calling some games as the McEwen griffins were in town for the ladies tough couple of games again two three set sweeps going against them and overall this entire season just winning two sets so still some things to figure out on the serve pass uh, front and also just trying to find more offense right yeah. it is can i ask a question about that 
sure. about, vo- about volleyball is it what do you attribute this early season struggles to the most is it confidence is it injuries to a couple of big players or what do you reckon both, both. i think it obviously when your two top guns capex manhana tanash chuck are out of the lineup and also with this specific weekend beth Vanell played very sparingly maybe like one set we thought maybe it was a Kawhi Leonard load, load <laughs> management scenario, but she's dealing with an upper body injury, but I think she'll be back next weekend against UBC. But I think it starts with not having your top players there who are also maybe having some of those leadership capabilities and sure. a- uh, aspects to the game, which then doesn't bleed over. And then it affects the confidence. It affects the mental part of the game and how you prepare for things and how you approach things, how you um, read the other team, how you read the serves. And then it bleeds into serve receive, which is the first contact off the serve. Right. How do you pass the ball to your setter? And a lot of that is not getting there cleanly. And then therefore they can't run their offense. And it also, eliminates the options to the middle of the court if you're busy trying to track down balls to the side of the net. So, yeah, I think the encouraging thing is that it's something they can clean clean up. It'll take some time. It's just, it's, I think as Dino fans, we're restless because we're used to seeing uh, such a high standard. Right. right. And so, yeah, and again, that first win, you're like, ah, six games in, we're itching for it, you know? So, and as for men's volleyball, hey, they're off to a great start. Five and one on the year after another, after another two victories against McEwen this past weekend. Tom Sora looks great at the setter position. Um, I won't dwell too much on that, but yeah, their outside hitters are starting to get into a rhythm. Liam Coopy and Mac McNichols. So, yeah, unfortunately, they lost Hamish Hazelden, uh, their six foot eight Aussie, as he collided with Coopy on a play. And it looked innocent, but he ended up having to go to the hospital and getting, you know, scans done, all that. And he ended up having a couple broken fingers, I believe, or something in his hand um, mm. that he'll have to get checked out. So he'll be out after Christmas. So, but hopefully he'll return at some point this season. So, because he was playing phenomenal. So up next is basketball. Both Dinos teams go out to Vancouver to the War Memorial Gymnasium, and they play the UBC Thunderbirds. The ladies, preseason ranked number three in the country, so this is a really strong team. And they backed it up, 87-59, 76-59. Pair of wins on the road against the Thunderbirds. And as for the men, they pump out two victories. The Friday one was a nail-biter as Noah Wharton with the last second and one. Yep, buzzer beater. Beautiful. Yep. Good for top play in Dino's Plays of the Week. Shouts to Noah Wharton for that. And they won more convincingly in the second game. Yep. So, yeah, really good start for them. Yeah, uh, Brett Layton had a big game on Saturday as well. He There was a lot of clips on the Dino's Twitter page for men's basketball that it was just, you know, feeding him in the paint, you know, spinning off pressure making tough shots. He had a really great game. And Noel Wharton, a uh, first-year player, they, they they talked about it a little bit in, in the upcoming interview, just how big he plays. And even for a first year, there's not that sense of uh, fearfulness or timidness or anything. He he battles, and, and, you know, he had a monster game on Friday and uh, gets, gets the last basket, which is great. And, you know, you love to see that kind of stuff from a first-year player. So I think that'll wrap it up for us here because we have a very great interview Yeah, coming up with Max Isla and Dan Pearson, a.k.a. Skippy. So we're excited for that. Thanks for coming in. Max Effort. Thanks, Jamie. All right, Dinos Unfiltered underway. Jeremy Lee, Max Sterley in studio. Men's basketball this week. This is take 27 underway. Go. Max Isla and Dan Pearson. Yeah, you did it. Oh, we all okay. done? Yeah, well done. <laughs> Bit of a rough landing, but we're here. <laughs> Max studio. Max Men's studio. Volleyball. Men's volleyball. We had to correct that one quick. Uh, oh, boy. That's rough. Where should we start? Uh, I don't know. How are you guys doing? How was the weekend? 
We had a good weekend. I, I don't think uh, either of us can complain. Max's shoulder's a little banged up, but besides that, we're both probably fairly happy on the inside. Yeah, made it a little bit too exciting on, on Friday night, but then got the safer win on Saturday. It's a good weekend. Yeah, yeah it's always tough to go to UBC and uh, take any win, so to, to go there and take two um, sets us up pretty good for the conference to, to start everything off, so we're happy. Rolling on to Brandon now and and get going with the rest of the conference. Because it was a rematch of last year's Canada West final, right? Mm -hmm. yep. Pretty intense to start the season, no? Yeah, it was definitely a big game. And they returned a lot of their players, right? They did almost all of them, I would say. Yeah. Did they lose some? Yep. Uh, they lost Saharovic and a few guys off the bench. But that, that was a, a return group, which yeah. they, they actually play, I mean... In, in our opinion, this isn't a knock on it. They play a style that I think you get to your your ceiling a little bit quicker to begin with. And so when you have a bunch of returners coming back to that and maybe a, a style that allows for you to be ready earlier versus us, we brought in essentially nine new guys. And, and I think that we have a style from both offensive and defensive schemes that takes some time. Um, so we have a lot of new guys that are still in the learning stages. And so that was our... I wouldn't say fear, but that was our concern going in to see where we would line up with them, knowing that they're just by nature going to be a little bit further ahead with all the things. But, um, yeah, our guys played really well. And, and uh, the win on Friday night especially, I mean, that, uh, I've never been a part of anything like that, so it was pretty wild. Noah Wharton looking pretty impressive, hey? Yeah, he's amazing. He's For a young buck, he's playing amazing. Yeah, just he doesn't care. He do you remember? Yeah. Do you remember your first year, Max? Uh, I do. Yeah, it <laughs> seems like a while ago, but I do somehow. Yeah. Yeah. Noah's a gamer. I mean, it's funny because that's a that's a good entrance for him. But even down to the Virgin Islands, before he got hurt, I think he came in against Youngstown State in the first half he ever played with us. Rattled off like nine points in a in a four minute span. The the kid just doesn't care. He, yeah. I mean, he's nice. been playing against good competition, and he's just a gamer. Doesn't care. Just want to clarify a bit. Like he's fearless out there. Like obviously, <laughs> no. He doesn't care about anything. He's just you know, reckless. If he shows up, he shows up. No, I mean, yeah, he he is fearless. It, for him, I think he. There's certain guys that step out and they go, oh, "I'm 19 years old." And there's 24 year olds that I'm going against, and and that causes you to play a little bit more tense. And for him, he sees someone in another jersey, and it doesn't matter to him. So that's uh, it's something that makes young players effective, and he's got it. Uh, not everyone has it, but but he does. So maybe we'll just start here. Both you guys not from Canada. Tell me about, we'll start with you, Max. Yeah. Tell me about your journey and your process and how Calgary was even on the map for you. And I think Lars had something to do with that. Yeah, he definitely did. Um, so I always wanted to come to North America just to play college ball. And yeah, because in, in Europe we just don't have the same thing. It's not the same environment of having like school and basketball combined like that, both on a high level. So yeah, I always knew I wanted to come somewhere here. I wasn't really aware of Canada itself. So um, Lars kind of brought that on the map. And I knew Lars because we played together in under 14. Mm. So when we were young and we kept in contact, we were friends throughout the whole time. We played against each other after that the whole time and then yeah this opportunity came up well and just so that everyone's aware max is from ulm germany <laughs> yeah. and i just wanted to ask you about dirk Nowitzki. <laughs> how big of an icon is he over there oh he's the biggest because like basketball was never a thing so when i wanted to play i wanted to play basketball because my dad was kind of into it okay but he's a he's a canoeist so hmm. he doesn't also really know what he's talking about. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, when I wanted to start playing basketball when I was like nine years old, there wasn't even a basketball academy in Ulm, so I couldn't play basketball. I could play with like 16 years old, uh, 16 year olds, but yeah, that wasn't happening. And then it started off with me when I was like, when I just turned 10. They started this brand new thing, basketball, because it was only like soccer and handball in Germany. And yeah, then now it's the second biggest sport and Germans love it. How would you describe like what, what your love is for the game? Like why do you have a deep passion for it? I think it's an amazing team sport. I think it's the right amount of players. So you have a good combination and it's just, it's a quick sport. It's attractive, I think, to watch for everyone the whole time and yeah it's just full of action so 
that's what I like about it. Uh, sticking with your hometown of Ulm, Germany. Did I pronounce that right? Yeah, you Ulm, did. Yeah. Okay. Ulm. Uh, first things first, the birthplace of Albert Einstein. Yes. Yeah, so not a big deal. Um, <laughs> Smart people from there. Yeah, that's yeah, exactly. right. Um, what would you say for those who've never traveled to Ulm, what's, what's the city most known for outside of maybe Albert Einstein and, you know, whatever else it may be? We, we have the highest church tower in the world, which is a pretty big deal. We're pretty proud of that. And the, a nice river runs through Ulm. It's called the Danube. It's one of the biggest rivers in Europe, and it's just like, it's not a huge city, but it's a city, so yeah, I really like it. It has like a bit of both, like city life, but also little old town cities, yeah. How often do you get to go back? Um, Not that much, like normally once in the summer at least. This year I went twice, which was really nice, and the summer before actually as well, because we went with the team. Um, yeah, not during Christmas, um, but yeah, in the summer normally. So you got to show the team around. Yeah, that was freaking amazing. Yeah. yeah. That was a really cool thing that we did, and I'm hoping we're doing it again um, in my last year. And yeah, it was it was just amazing because it's just a totally different lifestyle in Europe over sure, there. Sure, yeah. And it was also good for my grandparents and my parents to actually like see me play life again. So it was a nice time. I wanted to quickly touch on the German basketball landscape and even from the, uh, even from when you were growing up and what kind of style is it and how is it different than the Canadian basketball over here? I think it's quite comparable to the Canadian basketball, especially kind of the ball that we play here. Okay. Um, I think like <laughs> Pearson and I always had rants about that, but <laughs> I think like Europeans overall play like uh, very intellectual basketball and not that athletic. And not Montana basketball, right? We'll get, we'll <laughs> well, get those are athletes that come out of Montana. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so that's what I really like about it. Like, for example, I don't know. I really like Doncic right now in the NBA. Oh, yeah. Because I've been following him since he was little. And yeah, I don't know. I really like European basketball. Any funny stories from being recruited? Whether it was like to Calgary or whether it was to a different school? Um... Well, when I first got here, Lars picked me up from the airport. There's actually, like, my story, I guess, isn't as funny because Lars was already here. But I think Lars's story is kind of funny. So Lars got picked up by Dallas from the airport. And the first thing he apparently said was, like, where are all the trees? Because, <laughs> like, there's no trees around the airport. <laughs> and, yeah. So, Sounds about right. And Dallas couldn't understand him for, like, the first 30 minutes. <laughs> and so it was just a big debacle, but... They ended up becoming best friends, so that's a good, good story, I think. Um, just wanted to go back a little bit before you came over to Canada to play. You were, and correct me if I'm wrong, you were effectively playing in a German's men's, men's league, yeah. uh, Div 2, or the equivalent of Div 2 in the men's league, is, is that correct? Yeah, yeah. so I was uh, playing in the second German league, which is called Pro A. Yeah, Pro A. And, um, yeah, we play, I played one year Pro A, and then we moved down to Pro B, which is technically still second league, but it's like the lower genre of it. Sure. And then I decided to stay one more year to just play professionally. And there we won the title of the Pro B and moved back into Pro A. And my team is right now still in the Pro A. Yeah. So as a 15-year-old, you were playing against men at that point, right? Yeah, that was the great thing about the program that I came from because it's um, it was a boarding school um, focused fully on basketball. Right. And we didn't, there's nothing like it in Germany other than that. Now it's growing a little bit. Actually, Ulm is getting a new boarding school right now. Um, yeah, and that was always like the thing. It was like to expose young players early to like a high level, high physical level. Right. And it was really beneficial for me. I think I think I learned a lot and met a lot of cool people as well. Who did you yeah. meet? I don't Who know. Sticks like, out, yeah. <laughs> there were just some really good players that, are still playing right now. Like Jeff Gibbs used to play for um, for Aingen. And I don't know, there's a bunch of dudes that play in Japan right now. And right. yeah. Okay, transitioning over to Dan Pearson. Skippy. <laughs> AKA Skippy. Um, first off, I just wanted to thank you for not locking us out of the office today. Yeah, I know. That's my bad. I was, I was busy. That's you fine. guys caught me in a rush. So there's an inside story last weekend, we were, or last week, we were trying to record and Lance 
had graciously opened up his office to us, and unbeknownst to Dan, he thought that Lance had left his office open and just shut the door on us before he even got here. Well, so. the thing, I was, I was working in here, because I just needed to, to get something done, so I needed a little quiet, and Lance had said something in my brain that was either, the door's unlocked, you can shut it, or the door's locked, don't shut it. And um, You chose the former. Yeah, I did. And so you guys were locked out, and if it made for a bad podcast, I'll take that one. So, but you glad guys. you're here. Yeah, you're from Billings, Montana. <laughs> yeah, I'm under the bus. <laughs> <laughs> a warm welcome onto the podcast. Yeah, um, yeah. Going back, you're from Montana. Who's the greatest basketball player to come out of Montana? Uh, Phil Jackson. Well, we'll put him as the the greatest basketball player because he he did he he's he great coach. In, yeah, well, he he hooped in his day too. But uh, obviously, I think Phil Jackson would be the. I mean, because he's up there in the top five coaches of all time. Adam Morrison, people will kind of claim as a Montanan. He was really only there for a little bit and then went over to uh, to Spokane. Um, really not a ton of NBA guys. To be honest, one of them who, who actually ended up passing away, a guy named Wayne Estes. He mm. was, I believe he was either at Utah, he was at Utah State. And a seven-footer, uh, he was leading the NCAA in scoring. And he got like a very tragic death uh, hit a down power line helping a woman one night and he ended up passing away so there's a great five on five money tournament down there dedicated to Wayne Estes so he actually I mean depending if things would have spanned out the way they would look Wayne Estes might have been the best ever play out of there but yeah Phil Jackson's the claim to fame for us for sure yeah you did however play at Carroll College I played at Carroll yep yep so I played at Carroll for three years um, and then uh, didn't finalized and actually that was the the starting point to the connection up here but yeah so I played three years over at Carroll. How did you decide to get into coaching? Yeah it kind of just happened organically. I I was coaching pretty much from I'd say probably 17 years on with an organization called NBC Camps Mm -hmm, which is the the world's largest uh, overnight kind of extended basketball camp Um, and and right out of high school did stuff out of Billings but then when did some stuff in Alaska, went over to, first time I actually was in Germany, I've been there four times now, but first time in Germany I was coaching a team over there, uh, NBC was kind of, I was fortunate enough with them to travel quite a bit and be in California and Wyoming and, and a fa- few different places um, with them, uh, and then in my year off I was coaching a high school basketball team in the city, that actually spanned into uh, my connection in with my first job. Uh, which was coaching at Carroll, the the head coach that I was coaching with in high school, kind of created a pretty good relationship with the incoming coach for Carroll um, and and kind of entered me into that relationship. So it was a little bit of an organic setup, but it was nothing that I think initially I was saying, like, this is going to be what I pursue as a profession. But here I am. But mm-hmm. yeah. And now that you've reached this point, and we're going to touch on your master's and your education background and everything, but is that where you think you're going to continue to go in coaching or is there any future goals with coaching? Yeah, I mean, I I think so. Coaching's a tough career because if you have other desires, whether that's family or um, if you want to live in certain spots, it's, it's just harder to control. Um, I, I know that it is a challenge for anyone who wants to have a a strong family, but I, I don't think that obviously there's, been great coaches who have been great family men as well. Um, I wouldn't say it's the number one on my priority list. At, at the same time, I, I really enjoy it. And so I would certainly put it as something that I see myself doing in, in the shorter to medium term. But uh, I, I taught high school English for a year and I loved it. So if uh, you know education as a fallback plan is something that I have no problem going with. So, um, But yeah, no, I mean, I don't have any plans to change right now. Being from the States, uh, Dan, I was talking to Mombi, who had started off in Canada and Montreal and yeah, played down in Texas. Uh, down in Texas. Yeah. So for you, it's kind of the other way around, mm-hmm. where it's like you start in the States and you end up in Canada here. What sort of mentality can you do you bring with you, or um, that you want to try to instill in in the Canadian system or in this Canadian on on the Canadian team? Yeah. No. Well, actually, I think I'm in a pretty unique spot from for both American and Canadian coaches because you have to see two styles. Well. I had to play in a certain or coach in a certain system, Mm. but my brain and my background's from a different system. So 
I played in a 35 second shot clock. And so everything's layered. You just, whatever you do is sequenced into a spot that there's a next and there's always, it's kind of infinite because 35 seconds now is forever. Yeah. Uh, halfway through my college career, they shifted to 30, but still 30 to 24 is quite a bit different. And I, and I feel like when you come up here, at least initially, I think the trends changed. I, I hope that we here have had a, a little bit of a say in that trend changing is it seemed like it was into three chunks. You come up, you got your transition eight seconds, then you run a set for eight seconds, and then you do a high ball screen, your final eight seconds. And that just, it made me itchy when I came up here because that's just not the system. Um, but it was fast. And uh, our system in a 35 or 30 second shot clock was slower. And you'd had times to, to kind of maneuver and move people around and essentially hike the football and play. So having to scheme and, and work with Coach Van Horn and Coach Skin when he was here on, on how to kind of find a unique middle ground between the two was really good. So I think we have a great um, modification between the two where we, we can play fast and everything goes from the full court into kind of a more infinite run of stuff where there's always a, a next. Um, I don't think that that's the, the overall trend still up here, but I think that that's something we've been able to do. And, and I do think that that's a mix of playing the American style combined with the FIBA style. And while we're on that note there, Max, was it a transition for you um, playing this faster style or were you already playing that fast? Um, well, we play FIBA rules, so the rules stay the same, which is kind of nice for me. Right. Um, well, there's definitely... I'm. He always pushes me towards like more and more running the ball, and because I I am kind of I want to like slow it down and then run my plays and like yeah play that European style that is kind of slower. Um, so yeah, I definitely had to adjust, but I think the European style, at least what I always saw with Max, and th there's this is some great strengths of his is it's very controlled. I think where it's like 24 seconds is so important because you can't waste any. That's like put the ball in your best decision maker's hands, get your best scores involved, whether it's in the ball screen or the rise spot, and then manipulate from there. Where I think where we've tried to go as a, a trend is if you, if you get more reps of it, then you can take a few more body blows and be okay with if it's like, oh, it's not my big hitter taking that body blow. Um, that's been an adjustment, but I, I mean, like Max said, we've, we've kind of spent a lot of time working through those to the point where, because it's not either or, it's not one's better than the other. It's actually someplace in the middle. And I think that as those conversations have happened, like we, we do kind of have a merging of, I'd say three different styles between the European, American and Canadian sense. Hmm. Doesn't that mess you up though? If you go play a scrimmage game with uh, an American team though, down in the States, what do you think? Um, well, they definitely do play others uh, different, yeah. especially if we go down there, the rules are just different. Right, yeah. And so we actually ended up taking a, a earlier shots when we were down there and not playing the full 30. And then when, like an offensive rebound just means way more if mm -hmm. you get back. But right now it's like 20. They went back yeah, they down to 20. Back, 20. Yep. Yeah. But you basically could play a minute of offense, which mm -hmm. is insane. Which I, from a coaching side, I love because, again, we, we want to try to layer. We want to try to layer our offense more and more. And so having that extra six seconds forces the guys to go, okay, what's our next rep that we can get here? Um, and then defensively, it's just harder. So if you can defend someone for 30 seconds and rebound, right. doing it for 24 is essentially easier. I, I always found as a player coming up, the three-point line screwed me up. Like if I, even this, in the summers, if I go play at home, and I get adjusted to the line and then come back up. I'm short for a while. And so there's a few d like court dynamics uh, dimensions, uh, components yep. of that I think. Spacing, all that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. for the post play, like where people post up, is it does, it changes angles as far as where you're all <laughs> back to the basket. And so there's a few things with it, but I think it's great for us. Actually, it's, the opposite's true too. Like if you come up, um, it's more physical. So like Carol last year when they came up and played us, yep. I think it was great for them because you have to play faster and they didn't want to play fast and that's good. Mm. Um, they, they had to play more physical and they didn't want to play. And so I, I think those type of things are just really good to try to transition styles. And uh, I kind of want to ask a question semi-related to this, more so on the analytics side of things. And as we all know, over the last 10, 15 years, analytics has become mm -hmm. massive. Even, even at smaller levels like college or whatever, um, and basketball is no exception. You know, we're, we can talk about things like touches, assist ratio, mm -hmm. play percentage, individual four percentage, whatever. So I kind of want to get 
both the coach and player perspective on analytics. First off, what camp are you guys in when it comes to basketball analytics? Where do you stand on it? Well, I think Pearson is obsessed with it. Um, I think he, like, always when we have our video sessions, he goes, he does all that stuff, right? And he goes through all the things and he wants to show us and wants to show us exactly what we have to do. But I think they both, the coaches are very aware that there's always obviously a balance because you can't just go based on numbers. And um, I think we, we have a couple things in place. Like the we have like a shooting um, chart. So right. number four is like uncontested layup, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then number three is like a good shot in your range open. And yeah, so you'd basically just like evaluate yourself on it. I think there's a lot of helpful things that you can do, especially like looking at film and actually seeing where your mistakes are, but also seeing what the opponent does. Right. But I think there should still be like kind of a balance of like, yeah. Yeah, and I agree. I mean, I, basketball is a field game. And so you're always going to find the outliers. Like there's, I mean, analytics would tell you never take a non-paint two. Um, Right. But, you know, I've always kind of pushed back upon that because I think that it's important to find the particulars in the hole. You, you're kind of silly. You're just a, you're a computer if you don't find the particulars in the hole. And so even though it's really, really important, um, I mean, we talk about a lot of times with we force left. So, like, right. our rules is we force left because, you know, someone might be 1.2 points per possession going to the right hand and they're 0.7 going left hand. You play the odds. Right? Yeah. yeah, but if you're, you've got Simon Kuzma right now, don't force him left. He doesn't want to go left. And so to think that you won't see particulars in there would be a silly way to read analytics. But I love the analytics side of it. I think it's with basketball, especially up here because of the way that we're getting 80-plus possessions, there's so many little sense that you can get back. Um, and so whether it's how you shoot your free throws and what you know an increase on your 10% on a free throw, what that does over the course of a game. Um, my freshman year playing – we lost to the number one team in the country on a tipping at the buzzer. Or, or I guess two years ago, we won the national championship basically at the buzzer. And so mm-hmm. two points, you can get that so easily. So like last year, we started violating our free throws, which became a, a big debacle <laughs> in, in, the, in the refereeing world. And it was a complete joke. But the reason why is because we looked at the analytics and said, we are better when we're setting up a full court press than the few times that we get an offensive rebound. Right. And so we sacrifice that to be able to set, set up our press. And um, So, yeah, I mean, we like to play with those things. I think, that's, I think that's fun. But it also, I think it's silly when you have something like Synergy that's giving you numbers not to use those. And sticking with this for just one more second, is there a particular analytics piece that you think is the most valuable out of them all? Or is it kind of just in balance with other things that you can find in different data sets. You mean as far as like when we're looking at advanced analytics in terms of the stats and stuff? Yeah, yeah. Um, we, to be honest, we don't have the manpower to operate some of the stats that I think you, that are really sure. good to have. Yeah. Um, I think that once you get into the NBA, they have, they have oh, advanced it's, analytics it's on, endless, yeah. on like where to push guys in the ball screens and then when you're in the ball screens, how you're handling that. Um, I think some of those things are great. We, we do a lot in, two. I think, the two analytic numbers that I've been most keen on. Seattle Pacific did a study probably 10 years ago, which looked at, and again, easier when you have 35-second shot clock, but looked at the efficiency of a, an offensive possession the more times it hit opposite sidelines. So on every swing, it increased, increased. And so it was something right. absurd, like after four turns of the ball, you were in like a 98th percentile on terms of shot quality. So essentially they're like, well, you're silly not to move the defense side to side. Right. Um, so it's that I think was always huge and something that we've tried to implement um, in terms of our turns. And then also pace and transition. Uh, I think that when you get the paint, ball to the paint in the first eight seconds, your offensive numbers double. Um, so for us, that has to be – it's somewhere in that range, right? But those type of analytics I really like because I think that those are kind of universals because you say, well, it doesn't really matter what, who's on the court. The fact that the defense is shifting this many times by the nature of the way defenses play breaks things down or right. by the nature of how you get up the court – breaks things down so and for you max last question about this so obviously when you're you know in a game you have lots of things to worry about whether it's different sets or where your guys are going whatever is something like analytics ever on your mind and maybe to your point earlier about how you go through a bunch of tape and you know the coaches might 
point out one specific thing or is it something that when you're in the game you're focused on your sets and the rest just comes naturally well i think it's it's not the analytics itself but more like the the conclusions we right. we take from it for, through him right. so basically if we should push a player left or if we should ice him or hedge him or whatever so like those things more i would say but not specifically oh like sh- i think free throw shooting percentage is a big one that's a big so one. like who yeah. do you follow at the end yeah. of the game yeah, yeah. of course, like, of course. Yeah. but even like i mean just thinking about something that happened this week i mean and this is back to an earlier point about finding the particulars in the hole you know like if we if we're in a cross screen down screen situation and max is guarding um a shooter in the corner our rule is we utah switch that but if max is leaving a shooter to utah switch it that might be our rule but be a bad decision based upon the circumstances in it so i mean they know what our rules are and that's what actually has been a challenge for us because last year with david and and a couple of the guys who've been there for so long you had max in there they're able to kind of say well i know this is our rule but in this circumstance it's a silly rule because this is the guy and so they could hit the override button we're right now we're like we have situations where guys are like well you told me to do and you're like that's true <laughs> yeah. but that was an x sitting on the board not man Rube claire sitting on the board when we first did it so right. I, again it takes the computer element and puts it into the personal which i think good players max is really good at it he's kind of a draymond green out there in terms of directing dudes and so we we need it or else we couldn't do the schemes that we do do you have the emotion that matches Draymond Green, Max. No, I would not describe my personality as Draymond Green's, I would say. Less crotch kicking. <laughs> but while we're kind of on that subject, I wanted to chat a little bit about the art of working referees. Um, that's a big part of the game. And I wanted to get your perspective as a player and as a coach. What's the line? What like where have you found the line to be? Like, are, are, I don't even know. Like, are you the person to be super vocal towards the officials? Yeah, I I do talk quite a bit to the refs um, in German. <laughs> they can't. They normally it. don't understand me. Right. But <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, so I've only gotten one T in my whole life, a technical foul in my whole life, and that was like, actually against Urspring when I was like ten years old because the ref thought I flipped him off but I actually just showed on my hand that he fouled him. <laughs> <laughs> chop so, on the forearm. <laughs> so I do talk a lot to the refs but I try to like ask them questions why like why they called th- certain things. But I think I always I s- I do get close to text but I think I can like compose myself once. But if you frame it point. properly I guess, right? In yeah. a, more of a Well, I think I think being a ref is a tough spot in the first place. Mm, yeah. But then the only way you can really get something out of it is by actually asking them what they saw and why you got the call or why you didn't get the call. Right. Like, mis- Mr. Analytics, like, how often do they change the well, call? Well, they never change the call. <laughs> <laughs> but the funny thing about Max and, and this Well, they kind of did this weekend uh, with the jump ball. They did. Yeah, the thing about Max is, like, if you're going to have a conversation, you need, like, some cheese and a bottle of wine and take your time. And, and last time I checked, we haven't pulled those things out on the court either. So, I mean... That's his only <laughs> thing is, I mean, and hey, like I, this is my same tendency is, you know, like letting something go and moving on. Um, that's, it's not my strength. <laughs> <laughs> Max wants to get to like, to a point where they, both him and the ref can be like, oh, I see your side. It just hasn't gotten there Shake yet. So. Hands <laughs> yeah. He's diplomatic. So, and actually, I think Max's demeanor for the most part is very good with refs and, and probably gains him some favor. But also, and this is what I'm learning up here too, you got to know who who to hold them with and who to fold them with. But, uh, yeah, you can work some refs, if, especially over the course of five years. Like, if you're schmoozing, do you find you're getting more calls in your favor down later in the game? It honestly just depends. Okay. Like, I don't think I make any. Like, I think sometimes it's good to just tell them to look for something. I normally say that for, like, other players. Like, if I see that Brett is getting beaten up down there, right. so like, could you just look at number seven? He's just bullying him down there. Is that part of your preparation, though? Uh, leading up to certain games that you're heading into, because I, that's what I heard. That's what the Patriots do. As far as who's the ref? Yeah, they figure out who's refing that game. Well, they so work their style. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's a few refs that we just. I mean, and Dan's been Dan Van Horn has had such a history with with it. It's funny because like 
it feels like between the three guys, there's always one every game that he looks at me and goes, don't say anything to him. <laughs> and, it, and in my head, I'm always like, okay, sounds good. And I just don't have the willpower. Um, and so it lasts like four minutes in. I'm like, don't say anything. Don't say, ah. And then it, something slips out. Um, I do think there are certain guys, and I won't say who, because no, they, yeah, yeah. they get in trouble legitimately, which is part of the issue. Um, there are certain guys that you go, I know very well that I can go and talk to this guy, and he's going to go, Yep, I know exactly what you're saying. You have a conversation. And and maybe for me coming from Montana, like the refing community, there's a, it's kind of a weird close-knit group because there's just mm. – there's they, they do the high school ball and they do the, the college ball. And so by the time I was done coaching there, like I knew a lot of them quite personally. And so as an assistant coach, if I didn't have anything to do in the timeout, like I'd go over there and just – have a conversation. And then I think like the first time I tried that with someone, they're like, get back to your bench. I was like, all right, <laughs> we're not in I'll, I'll Kansas any longer with this one. So I, I haven't created the same uh, relationships. Well, no, there's some, there's some I, that you can have those conversations with, but, but to answer your question, no, it doesn't go into the scout. We're not that advanced. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess we, we said we would touch on it earlier. You have a master's Dano in Ooh. organizational leadership with yeah. a specialty in, in servant leadership. Is that yep. correct? Yep. So before we get into some of the details about it, in layman's terms, tell the listeners what that's about. Uh, yeah, so ser- servant leadership. So, or, well, I'll start with organizational leadership. Sure. Organizational leadership, uh, I got it through Gonzaga. Um, it's actually, uh, they told us this like in one of our foundations courses there. It's the fastest growing, um, it was at the time, one of the fastest growing degrees in the country. Um, essentially, the way it was kind of spun was it's an MBA with less uh, finance focus. It's sure. more on, like yeah. the psychology focus. So how do you lead humans? Um, and I think a bunch of that kind of cropped up as we started seeing things like the Enron scandal. And, and, and you start getting to a place where you're like, well, we can be efficient, but can we be ethical? And then if things crumble, it doesn't matter how efficient we are. If things crumble at the end, all that efficiency goes it's to waste, right? Yeah. So I think that that kind of cropped up as we started coming more towards that, um, those realities in big businesses. Um, and so I got into it via, um, actually one of the guys who I recruited um, down at, at Carroll, his dad was getting his doctorate there. And so on the recruiting trip, uh, we started chatting about it. And he, you know, was, I was looking to do my master's in something and it, it fit. But um, yeah, so that's kind of organizational leadership is that framework. And then the servant-led component of it, we could take a couple focuses. Um, I went with that as a focus. And um, that's a, it's a pretty broad brush as far as what servant leadership is. But essentially, and, and a lot of companies take it, Starbucks. I think of the Forbes 50 at one point, like 25-ish. I'm, I'm kind of right. shooting from the hips with numbers here. But probably 25 of them um, adopted a servant-led model. But it's essentially make the smallest person the strongest person and then you're going to have a good organization. Uh, there's a lot of top-down models where all the, the um, energy is flowing towards a CEO mm-hmm. where, um, in essence, in, in, if you would take the analogy with athletics, it'd be make sure your seniors are pouring all their energy into the rookies, right. not the rookies right. into the seniors. Um, so that would be kind of the overarching idea behind servant leadership, and, and that breaks down into a couple different functions, but essentially that's in layman's terms. How have you tried to implement um, your leadership style, I guess, into Dino's athletics or even with the team? Well, I mean, it, it's interesting because I think it's, I mean, this is one of the things I like about the the field of leadership. I mean, actually, Max is in leadership class right now, and, and he'll throw out a couple different areas of leadership that he's studying. And, and to me, they they kind of blur. There's a lot of them that kind of blur. And part of that's because it's just a, it's an ever evolve. It's an always, you're always evolving that field. And so mm-hmm. we like to, um, we like to make things unique and give certain names i mean you look at all the the diet fashions out there you look at them all it's just a little bit different but if we slap a name then someone can uh, monetize it and so i think that you get that so with me i like to think that leadership is an ever-evolving thing because leadership's about essentially the leader and the internal development of the leader which that needs to be ever-evolving so um as far as how i try to implement that with with our guys i think for me, f- the first point of recognition is that I'm in a place where I still need to grow a ton, mm. both as a coach and as, as an individual. Um, and if I take kind of that growth mindset throughout my daily life, when I ask myself, first and foremost, how can I, if we lose a game, like my first question is like, what could I have done better? And then what can I do to help someone else do better? 
So from that, I, I try to adopt that from a personal side and then hope that that actually just has these unconscious developments in, in the relational side with the players or with Dan or whoever else I might work with here. So um, that'd be kind of the personal philosophy behind it. And for you, Max, as you're growing in your leadership, as you're learning all these things from Dan, where have you seen the value in how it's translated to you know your um, performance or your interactions with the team? Um, well, I think we have two great role models with Pearson and Van Horn, and I think that's a really big impact. Um, for me personally, I really enjoy having conversations with Pearson um, because we just always we always debate about sometimes nonsense things, sometimes important things. And um, I think I've learned a lot and I've become more mature, I think, and that just makes it easier to um, to talk to people on the team as well. And yeah. Has it helped in your confidence or with how you interact with your teammates or with coaches or with even like we talked about officials? I think I think confidence, but also awareness of who I am. Okay. And that like what my flaws are and what I have to work on and to not be that stubborn and right the <laughs> self-awareness piece I guess right? yeah yeah I think that's a, that's a big one and that helps you just to have better conversations with other people I think as well that actually are fruitful and actually lead to somewhere and, and Max is Max is really unique with this and it's been really fruitful for me um, Max is like you said a self-aware and a pretty integrated person he also is a weird mix between stubborn and humble. And so it's like the conversations at times, you know, like he'll walk in and be like, what do I need to do to be better? Um, and so then you will lay out, here's, here's my answer, you know, and, and then there'll be, you know, a little bit of resistance at moments. But at the end of the day, what Max does really, really well is kind of embraces those things and just goes, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to take that, for what it is and really try to work on it. And I've seen that over the last four years. And then what that allows, I mean, then this is a great, I guess maybe from his leadership side, um, a great trait to have is it, it allows me to kind of be self-reflective on the same thing. I mean, for as many times as a coach, I've been like, hey, you need to be able to do this better, this better. He doesn't shy away from kind of reflecting that same question back. And so when, when you have I guess maybe from whatever that line of leadership is or those tiers of leadership, when you have someone who's a leader below you that's leading you as well, um, that's unique. And I think that there's some, some traits in there. That like I said, the stubbornness kind of requires that because there's, there's some people who just be like, okay, you're the coach. I'm not going to push into what you need to be better at. And um, Max is too stubborn for that. <laughs> um, la last question I have about just this whole leadership stuff. Um, like you said, Dano, it's something that is always evolving and you need to adapt to the changes that you see, whatever it is. And it's also something where it's, it's pieces that are passed down from generation to generation. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of curious who was maybe that person for you, who you might've learned the most from yeah. in this discipline? No, that's a great question. And it's actually kind of in our Dino's lead program, our next, like our next stage is the question of heroes and mentors. Like, um, where we've kind of essentially gone, not to maybe jump, jump ahead or anything, but it's been a discussion on what we value and who, what our principles are and then who, who, who reflects those values and who reflects those principles. Um, I certainly say there's some people in my own life that reflect certain elements of those principles in different places. I mean, my dad and I are quite different people, um, but there's a, there's a simplicity to how he views life, a simplicity to... Um, what is most important and how he operates with it that I stole a lot from um, the actually the 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 chaplain at Carroll College who's uh, put him up against any other ball player in the country as far as the school chaplains go his name's Father Mark Lenneman um, there's the conversations and and the depth that and the value of those conversations I think I've I've had those between him and I, I kind of like to hope that Max and I get to share those same experiences um, on grander, less personal sides, uh, Jean Vanier, who's a Canadian guy, um, is, is, is really high up there. Um, yeah, let's see. I'm trying to think. You kind of go through, but there's, there would be a few. I mean, John Wooden. I, I think John Wooden was probably the first person that I read when I read his, uh, they call me coach, 
uh, when I read kind of that autobiography and, and went through it, it was like, okay, that's, that's a platform that I would like to inhabit. Um, mm. And so finding individuals who are kind of in that hero mentor roles, I think is, is super important. All right. I think we're in overtime right now. We got a couple of fun questions on the way. Are you guys ready for them? Mm-hmm. I think so. Nothing incriminating. Don't worry about yeah, it. Yeah, nothing too bad. Uh, this one was more for you, Max, but Dan, you can chip in if you'd like. Uh, should captains of basketball teams get a C on their jersey like we see in hockey, I guess, is the best example? No, or a captain's don't. armband. No, we don't. We just, we're just normal dudes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't care. <laughs> can they score? <laughs> Question for both you guys. It's more of the, of the tourist variety. Before coming to Canada, who knew most about what Canada has to offer? I oh. definitely didn't. I had no idea. I got asked last year for, that was like the Canada quiz, Lars and I. I couldn't even tell you the three territories, but now I can. Yeah. Hey, quick learner. I, I grew up in Montana, and I didn't know Canada existed. So, <laughs> no, I mean, I probably, I probably a little it's bit more. I, I. It's a tie for dead last, <laughs> yeah. apparently. Yeah. No, I traveled. I traveled before moving up here. Actually, I lived up here for like a summer, and Montana, Alberta, are the same to me. So, while we're on that topic, after coming to Canada, what have you found from an outsider international perspective? What have you guys found to be the weirdest tradition that we Canadians do or take part in strange foods that we eat? Anything. Anything that comes to mind. I think hockey's weird. <laughs> I would agree sure. with that. What's weird, I think, what's I think the hockey it? song goes in with that. Oh, know, like oh, the, the stomp, Hello Out the, There. The Stomp yeah. and Connors classic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't know how it goes. Yeah. But yeah, there's, Mason ho- loves it. Yeah, there's some hockey. It's funny, like, because I actually enjoy it, like I, especially uh, having Rich Hesketh, um, who spent X amount of years with the, the Calgary Flames, just picking his brain on kind of just the hockey traditions and cultures and what you do in locker rooms and, and the things he tells you. I'm like, that, those things are so – because each sport has their own little oh, niches on those ones. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, but the ones that come out of hockey, I'm like, I don't know where that <laughs> – some dude who played outdoor sports on a lake and – December made that up. Like what specifically? Like there's got to be something. Like Max um, is currently taking offense right now. No, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm no, because I don't disagree with you. Honestly, like there's some hockey traditions that I could say that are yeah, like weird as hell. But I, I want to know what your lens is from a basketball. Well, I mean, there's some. Rich has told me a few that I don't think we should talk about. <laughs> um, well, how crazy is the sport at the begin with to start off playing without? Oh yeah, that's what we said helmets. this weekend. Yeah. Like we went into like an old school old school hockey store, and there's like pictures of dudes playing without helmets and anything. It's like, mm. oh, oh yeah, if you get a puck in your face. Oh yeah, like, yeah. It's yeah. Freaking oh. yeah. There is a there's kind of like a there's just a there's such an appreciation for toughness. Yeah, that I think that ripples through a handful of different things, which I actually I I can very much appreciate. Like the whole idea of sometimes the fighting one. It's just weird where it's like, why are you fighting that guy? Well, not because I dislike him, because it's like, you know. It's momentum. You know. Because yeah. <laughs> hockey. I have to keep my you know, I fight him because hockey. Yeah. You know? um, but I, I get it. I, and and there is a, there's a sports psych behind it, but there's still a few different. You go, ah, that's, a, that's a weird sports psych. Everyone's got nicknames, I heard. Um, yes. Dudes are excessively naked in the <laughs> locker rooms, also, I heard. Uh, <laughs> like, I don't know. Maybe these things are true. So, by extension, does basketball need to have fighting? Ooh. <laughs> I, well, that was more a joke, but... Yeah. <laughs> I mean... It would be kind of tough, because, like, I don't want to go at yeah, some yeah. of the big dudes in the league. Or like. Yeah, no. I, it, I mean, the <laughs> 1990s NBA, I, I think the NBA could go back to it a little bit more. I think, you know, the idea that someone's going to get suspended when a fight happens and someone's foot steps on, you go, come on. Like, we could probably... There, there shouldn't be that big of a chasm between the two. Max, this is for you. So, Lars Schluter won top German of the year last year. Yeah. How <laughs> hurt are you that you... Yeah. It's got to hurt. It's yeah. got to hurt? <laughs> oh, I was super, super hurt. I didn't even go out at Night of the Dino because I, so, oh. I was so disappointed. Yeah. I'm sorry, man. So, I'm, I'm really hoping. I voted for Lars on that one. Oh, wow. <laughs> what are you doing this year to ensure that you win the title and fend off Simon Kutzman? 
Um, I'm always talking bad about Simon. That's like my main thing. Kay. Just talk him down and to everyone. It's like a smear campaign. Yeah. Just spreading, <laughs> spreading, <laughs> spreading the narrative. Yeah, spreading <laughs> <some rumors. laughs> We've got some pictures coming out. <laughs> right around election time, we'll be uh, slowly trickling He's those things out. He's just working on a full-blown like, yep. uh, ad with Lance here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Simon, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> he hates Canadians. <laughs> Favorite sport that isn't basketball for, for both of you? Watching soccer and playing probably volleyball. Volleyball? Yeah. yeah. Uh, playing soccer. I, I almost did that in, in university instead. And so I quite enjoy it. Actually, you know what? Uh, I'm going to call call an audible on this one because um, I'm going to put it in the sports camp now. Uh, spike ball. Ooh, oh, spike ball. No. Yeah. Yeah. Watch yeah. and play. Oh, Watch yeah. and play. We, we were down in the Virgin Islands <laughs> playing this summer, and um, I will note that the, so we had an ongoing tournament. Of course. Kind of King's, King's net. Yeah. Uh, Phil Barnt and I ended, ended the, the trip with the King's net. So, um, you know, if you talk to Jackson and um, Carter Kahenka, um They'll probably tell you that they won the most, but it was really less about who won the most, but who had the momentum towards the end of the season, and and you know we came we came with it. So yeah, so spike ball uh, that that one probably would. would I would rule. actually fully agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Who's yeah. the most intense player on the team with spike ball? Yeah, Jackson. Like who, he takes well, you were kind of crazy as well. I mean, Jackson, Jackson yeah. Skippy. Yeah, I mean Jackson. <laughs> Jackson was most upset when they lost. I just you know. I went and watched film. I broke down some <laughs> analytics. I was like, which hand am I Where hitting it to? Yeah, like, how are we going? Are Percentages. We going, yep, like, what's what's the height? What's their their arm length? I mean, where are we hitting this thing? Arm speed. Yeah. 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 And perfect. A- exit velo. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, ball placement, all that. Like, yeah. Um, I think we'll end it off here. So thank you guys for taking nearly an hour with us. Really appreciate it. Um, LeBron or MJ, who do you got? For me, it's Michael Jordan. Right answer. Yeah, I, I go MJ, yeah. but I, I I will say my pushback on MJ is I've had too many conversations with people that go, well, the answer's MJ, therefore MJ, and and no matter what like evidence you bring in, the evidence on the other side, well, it's MJ. Sure. To me, is an eye roll. Um, I'm going with Michael Jordan, but LeBron, it's not a. I mean, he didn't run away with it, but I'm yeah. going to go with MJ. The goat is still MJ, Jeremy. Well, what's your big biggest reason why MJ over LeBron? My biggest reason? Yeah, because it's MJ. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's MJ. You know, I think that I think that he, um, and you know what? I don't care about like the he, he transcended the sport, and then everyone modeled after. You're like, well, yeah, so did Steph Curry, but we didn't we didn't like change stuff because you know all of a sudden put him in goat status because of it. I, I would say for for Michael is is. He was such an elite level scorer and such an elite level defender. It, you do always kind of ask the questions like, why, well, why does someone win? You know, and 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 this is a, a little bit. I'll counter myself on this one. MJ won six for six in the NBA Finals, but he got beat out earlier. Whereas LeBron, if you look at his streak getting to the finals, um, it was insane. I think it was like whatever. He's been in the league for thirty five years now, so <laughs> he he. he, he kept going in the, when he was in the East. But um, I, I would say MJ's capacity to make sure that there was just no one better than him when he got to that stage. Uh, I still give it a toss-up, though. That's fine. I just wanted... Are you guys uh, Are you guys tangible. saying it's MJ, n- no even question? What are you saying? Yeah, I, I'm usually in, in the MJ camp, but not necessarily no question. I think you can pull stats from both sides where LeBron is objectively better in this category versus Jordan. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, and obviously at a very low level, I talk about this with my friends back home or whatever, and the, the common argument that g- gets tossed around is the championships. Six for six versus LeBron, who's what, three for eight, right. three for nine? Yeah. But MJ got beat out in the first and yeah. second round quite a bit yeah. too, yeah. right? Exactly. So I, I always think you got to bring those ones involved, but yeah. what's your reason? I think it's still got to be MJ... Um, but maybe the most influential might be LeBron. Mm, interesting. I think, th- well, maybe that's a different topic altogether, but just with what he's done with shaping this whole culture of super teams mm. and yeah. how he's basically 
the agent, the general manager. Yep. You know, he <laughs> runs every part of it. Le GM. Yeah. But, I mean, he did, but like the player empowerment stuff started with a guy that had enough power and it was him. Um, I will say on a personal note, like, uh, I mean, MJ has turned into kind of the, the old man on the porch, like yelling about how he used to be better than the kids on the street. Right. Whereas, and and I, I don't think some of the personal side th- things that MJ's done, I'd be like, hey, son, like, go model yourself after him. Where I do think LeBron James is a fantastic dude. Like, what he's done um, in terms of his I Promise school, um, where he where he's been as far as a community man. Yeah, the legacy piece. Yeah, right? I mean, and, and to live in the Twitter era for as long as he yeah. has, and not to have really anything sneak out. I mean, that's... For, for a professional athlete, you have to assume that he's a pretty solid dude. So yeah. we'll see how he does in, in Space Jam. I think that's really I was going to bring that up. Yeah, yeah I mean, just... once once we see Space Jam, if, if he flops there, then the MJ question is... Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah. we all know MJ killed it in Space yeah. Jam. <laughs> Ultimate, <laughs> ultimately, who's going to have the better movie? Yeah, that's really all that really matters, <laughs> yeah. right? Well, thank you so much, guys, and uh, all the best the rest of the season. All right, guys. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks. This episode of Dinos Unfiltered is a presentation of Dinos Athletics. Episodes are available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and our website, GoDinos.com. Make sure to check out the website or the GoDinos app for schedules and tickets to all your favorite games. And if you can't make it out to the game, remember that our games are streamed on Canada West TV presented by Co-op. Thanks to my special guests today and hope you'll join us in the next episode.